It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. I'm Dave Anthony. Today, we focus on Afghanistan, talking to the first Army Green Beret ever elected to Congress who fought in that war and is very worried about what's happening in the country after U.S. troops left. Now, we talked to Congressman Michael Waltz earlier this week, a year to the day after the Taliban took control of the Capitol Kabul again, the very group U.S. forces ousted from power when the war started in 2001 following the 9-11 terror attacks. But Afghanistan's government collapsed last August as Taliban forces took control of province after province while Americans were readying a final withdrawal. That Taliban takeover then led to a chaotic last exit, you probably recall, with thousands of Afghans also trying to flee the country at Kabul's airport. Our conversation with Congressman Waltz was too long to fit in our rundown podcast on Tuesday. Today, we do not have any time constraints at all, so you get to hear the whole thing. As always, thank you for listening, and please subscribe to us if you haven't already. If you have, we appreciate it. Now, Congressman Michael Waltz on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Congressman, thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, happy to be with you. Wish we were talking about something a little more positive, but good to be with you. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I I know this has to be hard for you to look back. It's a year now since the collapse of the country. When you reflect now, what do you think? Well, let's just take stock of of where we are a year later. Uh, We still have Americans... Uh, trapped behind Taliban lines. Uh, many of them can't leave because their family members can't leave. Uh, the Biden administration has since admitted that even though they uh, you know, pointed to about 100, which is what both Biden and Secretary of State Blinken said uh, when we had the final pullout, they've now admitted it was closer to 800, eight times as many as they said at the time, and there's still people left. So we still have Americans uh, behind Taliban lines. We have tens of thousands of our allies who stood and fought with us, were willing to die uh, for our values in the fight against extremism that are being hunted down by the Taliban as we speak. Uh, Girls can no longer go to school. Women can't work. There's a mass famine. And oh, by the way, uh, Al Qaeda is now back in Afghanistan in a way that it was uh, pre 9-11 and American credibility Um, has been absolutely devastated uh, around the world. So in the midst of all of that, you have the commander in chief uh, saying this was an extraordinary success, uh, zero accountability for the debacle that it was, not a single person fired or relieved. Uh, Even our allies uh, in both uh, Denmark and the United Kingdom had their defense minister and their foreign minister forced out uh, but nothing, zero, zilt from this administration. Well, what would you, Congressman, you have, what, I'm sorry, what yeah, would you, who, sure. who would you want him to punish? What would you like him to do to deal with what happened a year ago? Well, we would like, uh, first, we would like some answers. Uh, we would like some answers to uh, why there wasn't more planning uh, and foresight 
to, uh, you know, that went into the withdrawal decision. Uh, a number of us veterans, both Democrat and, and Republicans, began demanding as soon as he made the announcement in April that they start the evacuation, then you begin getting people out. That did not happen. It didn't happen, in fact, for months. Uh, why wasn't the military's advice uh, listened to, which said, look, if you pull out uh, the Afghans air support, maintenance support, logistic support and intelligence support in the middle of the fighting season, they're likely to collapse. Uh, that wasn't listened to. Why was the intelligence so wrong? And then finally, for the sake of the Gold Star families, the 13 Gold Star families, why do we decide to try to defend uh, an airport in the middle of a city of four million people surrounded by the Taliban? on a strategy of trusting kind of good terrorists to help us against the bad terrorists uh, when we had a massive air base, Bagram Air Base, just uh, a few miles away that was much more defensible and logistically more sustainable. So I could go on with the litany of questions that not only me, but veterans and Gold Star families have that have not been answered. And not only, you know, frankly, just an admission that this didn't go well uh, coming from our senior leaders uh, much less accountability, both in the leadership of the State Department and the military, but not one resignation, not one firing. And it's just a slap in the face to hear the president of the United States say this was an extraordinary success. I know uh, you're referencing the attack August 26th that took place. 13 U.S. troops were killed. Hundred uh, More than 100 Afghans also died in that terror attack at the airport. The president in his speech one year ago did say that in an the whole Taliban takeover unfolded quick, more quicker, you know, quicker than they anticipated. He also said back then that, look, if if Afghanistan is unable to mount resistance to the Taliban, what would one year or five years or 20 more years of a U.S. presence there do? Why? He's not going to ask Americans to fight yeah. when, when when Afghan forces wouldn't even fight. That's that was his defense. Yeah. then. What do you think? Yeah, sure. And so that that goes to the broader debate of the strategy, right, um, as opposed to how the withdrawal happened and, and the lack of planning uh, and the lack of a strategy there. But to that broader point, um, you know, look, we've uh, what one could question uh, if we suddenly pulled everything out of uh, out of South Korea, not now, but in the 1950s and 60s, when they had a higher illiteracy rate in their army than the Afghan army does today, uh, one could question around the world if the United States suddenly pulled away, um, what would then happen uh, to those forces? We actually saw it. We experienced it in Iraq when the Obama administration, who had many of the same officials that are now in the Biden administration, yanked us out of Iraq with no follow-up plan, uh, in 2011. And where were we by 2014, 2015? We had an explosion of ISIS, a caliphate the size of Indiana, uh, massacres and beheadings of both American citizens uh, and, and civilians across the region. And guess what? We have more troops back in the Middle East and back in Iraq now than we did before the withdrawal. So what the military actually advised was not U.S. forces doing the fighting, but providing the support for the Afghan military to continue to do the fighting, which they were doing. And I think it's worth noting we had fewer casualties uh, in in 2018, 2019 than we did in, in, in Afghanistan than we did in training accidents uh, around the world. So our strategy had shifted, uh, but Biden seemed to come in just determined 
uh, not listening, very stubborn. I believe he had a chip on his shoulder from his days under Obama and the debates then that he wasn't going to get boxed in the military. He was going to do this come hell or high water. Uh, and we're seeing the results of it now. To be fair, President Trump said we can't be in endless wars. He and his administration sure. signed a peace deal with the Taliban, and yep. that led to the withdrawal. And President Biden said if he didn't abide by that withdrawal, Americans yep. would have been killed. So two points on that. And, and, and to be fair, I was on the record at the time of the Doha agreement uh, saying I disagreed with it. I did not believe the Taliban would live up uh, to their end of the bargain, and they did not. They never agreed to a ceasefire. They never entered into serious negotiations with the Afghan government. And now we see with the killing of uh, Zawakari, the number one al-Qaeda official right in Kabul, that they also didn't live up to their agreement uh, to, um, uh, to keep al-Qaeda out of Afghanistan. But at the same time, I do believe it's pretty disingenuous for Biden to say, I'm going to 100 percent reverse course on uh, from the Trump administration on everything from energy policy to the Iran deal. But somehow he was absolutely stuck on the course that President Trump had said when it comes to the Doha agreement. I think that's disingenuous. Uh, and, and, and that argument falls flat on its face. He's reversed all kinds of Trump administration policies. Uh, but in fact, in this case, he agreed with it. Uh, and uh, and but he ignored the fact that the Taliban had not lived up to their end of the bargain. Uh, I do believe I do know a number of President Trump's advisors went into him in the final days of his presidency and said they are not living up to their conditions. And he said, fine, leave the twenty five hundred. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers. And of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at BrianKilmeadeShow.com. I want to play something. I want to play you. I want you to hear what you said to us about a year ago when we talked to you in the middle of the withdrawal as the Taliban was taking over province after province of Afghanistan from a year ago. Here we go. What pains me sure. is after the Taliban takeover uh, and al-Qaeda comes roaring back, I think we're going to have to go back in again, but this time we'll have to do it without local bases. And after our local allies have been massacred, I fear for the American soldiers we're going to lose because of this policy mistake in the future. Uh, and American civilians, if we have another 9-11 or another Pulse nightclub. Do you still think that way today? Unfortunately, yes. And the intelligence community has been very clear as it briefs us in Congress that Al Qaeda and ISIS fully intend to attack the West again. They are rebuilding their capability to do so. I think that was absolutely evidenced by uh, Zawahiri, uh, uh, Zawahiri, excuse me, who had been in hiding for 20 years, was now out in the open in Kabul. And even the United Nations is uh, pointing to. 10 to 15,000 foreign fighters that are migrating back to Afghanistan. Look, the, the, the Taliban have realized the dream of Osama bin Laden, which was to have uh, a, an Islamic jihadi state uh, with all the powers of a state, with an army, with a functioning uh, international airport, foreign currency reserves, a government. And you're seeing it now uh, prove to be a mecca for foreign fighters uh, all over the world. And again, the intelligence, uh, you know, they're laying it on the table that they fully intend to attack us again. My question is to the administration, are we going to wait until that attack happens or what are they going to do about it to prevent it? 
The attack on Zawahiri, uh, the killing of Zawahiri was something I applaud, but he was largely a symbolic figure uh, at this point. The, the terrorists actually running al-Qaeda uh, are effectively in hiding and they're rebuilding their capabilities. Okay. All right. Now, the president, when that killing occurred, when Al mm-hmm. Ayman al Zawahari was killed in the in the strike in Afghanistan, the president was hailing that and says, "Look, we're st- we don't relent. We still go after anybody who targets America." And essentially, we did it without having Americans on the ground anymore. We're no longer in Afghanistan, right. so it was uh, spun kind of as, "Look, we're still able to do the job without being there." Yeah, uh, you know, again, he was he was a, a, a largely symbolic figure that the CIA had been tracking for for 20 years. And, and again, I I don't want to take anything away from the accomplishment of of taking him off the face of the earth. Uh, however, uh, this type of long distance offshore strategy with no intelligence assets on the ground or at least very few, no bases uh, didn't work to prevent ISIS from roaring into Iraq. Uh, and emerging from Iraq from 2011 to 2015. And if you look at the map in Afghanistan, we even have fewer assets uh, in the region to deal with what's coming in Afghanistan than we did with Iraq back then. At least in Iraq, we had you know the Gulf states and Kuwait uh, and Saudi Arabia. We had the Kurds in northern Iraq. We had Israel. We had Jordan. You know, we had uh, access from the ocean and Turkey. Uh, we have none of that in Afghanistan, not a single base anywhere uh, in the region, much less in the country. And that has me incredibly concerned. You said that the Taliban has sort of achieved bin Laden's dream of a safe haven state for, for, for Islamic terror. Does that mean 20 years of U.S. fighting and nation building? Did we lose in Afghanistan ultimately? Well, you know, I well, I don't think it's over. Right. This um, there there are more chapters to come, unfortunately. As long as the ideology of Islamic extremism, much like we fought ideologies in the past of communism, uh, fascism and others, as long as that ideology exists, there will be uh, battlefields where where this conflict is played out from Yemen to Syria. And uh, and I do think it will still be in Afghanistan. Half the world's terrorist organizations still exist. Uh, in the Afghan-Pakistani region. Uh, And it's something that we just can't wish away. We can't stick our head in the sand and and say, we're done. (laughs) The the terrorists didn't get that memo, and they still fully intend to to wage jihad on the West, uh, as they've said for now multiple decades. We had on our podcast uh, last week, I can, uh, I'm sorry, if I could just jump in one more point yeah, there, and I yeah. think it's incredibly important. Please do. A lot of veterans, a lot of veterans are struggling mightily with the question that you just asked. What was it all for? What was the sacrifice both for myself, my family, my buddies who are no longer with us? Uh, you know, was it all worth it? And, and my message to all of them, number one, if you're going to a dark place dealing with those questions, Please call 988. It's the Veteran Suicide uh, Hotline. We have a crisis. We've had a multifold increase in calls of that hotline since the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And we had a crisis even before that started. But my message is, you know, we had an entire generation of Americans who grew up without worried about planes flying into buildings, 
or suicide bombers, you know, in malls or school buses, uh, that we kept the homeland safe. We may have to take drastic action to do it again, uh, but I don't want them to think their sacrifice was in vain. I, I, I firmly believe it absolutely was not. We kept the problem over there rather than it being here in our backyard. One thing that, that is still an ongoing issue, on our podcast mm-hmm. last week, we had one of the interpreters an Afghan translator who was one of those who managed to escape in the chaos of the airport in late August of last year. He has still not gotten the special immigration visa despite six years of trying. And he's not alone in that. And we have these interpreters, translators who are here in the U.S. who may not be able to stay in the U.S. There is a move in Congress to help them. Where are we on that? So there's there's kind of two main issues right now. One is the reintegration, and you point to it. One one issue within that is the status of the folks that did get out. Uh, is some of it will be expiring within uh, a month or two. Uh, I certainly have spoke out many times against visa overstays or illegal immigration. These are folks. Uh, I want everyone to know this that were willing to fight and die with us, and and I think. Um, if anybody's earned their right uh, to, to be an American, it's them. There is uh, various legislation pending to address those issues, uh, and I expect to see that legislation emerge. Um, and it has, to be, it, it has to be accompanied by appropriate vetting since a lot of the people that, that did get out weren't some of the ones who had been vetted up front. So that, I expect to see that legislation emerge uh, this September. And then the other ongoing issue is that tens of thousands of them who did stand and fight with us, uh, who were um, eligible for the SIV program, are still stuck behind Taliban lines. Uh, they are being hunted down as we speak. I think what the State Department uh, is doing to address it is wholly inadequate. Um, uh, and we're going to continue. I just had a meeting with uh, Secretary of State Blinken uh, before we left Washington to come back to our districts. Uh, and 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 let them know that it's unacceptable to leave these people behind and that they need to surge resources uh, to get these people out. Uh, and the sad thing about it is even the folks who did get out, the Taliban, if they can't get you, they go after their family. And one of the interpreters I was able uh, to, to get out has since had his brothers uh, and his cousins attacked and killed. Uh, by the Taliban. One was drugged behind a Taliban truck around the village to send a message about ever working with uh, Americans again. That's what's at stake here. But there's nothing we can do about that part, though, is there? Oh, I think there I think we could take a much tougher stand uh, with the Taliban about these killings and about the status of these individuals. No, absolutely. There's something we could do. Okay, we have since in the last year, Uh, We have released billions of dollars in foreign currency reserves to the Taliban uh, government. We have uh, provided hundreds of millions of dollars in aid. You know, that should be conditioned upon appropriate treatment of uh, those that that may have worked with us in the past. And oh, by the way, there's still an American Navy veteran held hostage by the Taliban that's been there for two years. One would have thought for the full withdrawal of all troops, which they've been asking, the Taliban have been asking for for decades, for in exchange for billions in foreign currency reserves and humanitarian assistance, that we could get one American Navy veteran hostage back. This administration just continues to concede 
uh, and, and to make concession after concession without demanding uh, something in exchange for what we're giving. And it's just completely unacceptable. Congressman Michael Waltz, Republican from Florida, Afghanistan, war veteran. Also, thank you very much for joining us. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.